Hey, Bailey here, just to provide a little bit of an intro for our first ever live episode. We recorded it on Monday at Fretboard Brewing in Cincinnati, Ohio. Shout out to the brewery for having us out. The podcast is recorded live, which means the audio is not going to be up to our usual standard, and we do interact with the crowd some. We try to repeat what they said, so I hope you still enjoy. And just a reminder, after this episode, we are taking a short break, but we will be back for spooky season because we are excited to talk about books around Halloween. Keep up on our socials and make sure you are ready for the next episode after the break. Enjoy! I'm Bailey. And I'm Katie. And we are Pros Tinted Glasses. Uh, Before we get started, we're going to tell you a little bit about our podcast. So, uh, Bailey and I are both uh, book nerds, I feel like you might call it generously. Um, We're real nerdy, we love books, we grew up in like the heyday of like Tumblr fandom for things like Harry Potter, Hunger Games, um, the dreaded combined supernatural Doctor Who Sherlock fandom. Super Hulock, if you will. If you will. Uh, and we feel like our experiences and our outlets have been really shaped by the medium we read and how we participated in that fandom from an early age. So we like to talk about books, we like to talk about nerdy stuff, and we also like to talk about, on a little bit of a more meta level, um, how stories and the media that we interact with shapes our lives. Uh, And this does include a lot of media, and not just books, though books are definitely where we focus. Mm -hmm. We do watch a lot of movies and television shows, and Mm -hmm. by we, I mean mostly Katie. Yeah, I consume a lot of media. Uh, I'm the kind of person who listens to audiobooks on 3x speed, which you might rightly call me a psychopath for. I regularly do. (laughs) I listen to them at 1.5. Which is still great. I mean, if you listen to them at all, if you read at all, if you watch things, it's all good. So for this episode, we're going to uh, jump around to a few topics, but we tried to pick something that everyone could connect to or have knowledge of and not be strictly one specific book that you may or may not have read. As I know from uh, my siblings, sometimes they don't listen because they haven't read that book. (laughs) So we tried to shy away from those types of topics tonight. So hopefully most of what we're talking about tonight, if you haven't read it, seen it, watched it, at least you have like a little bit of cultural osmosis type of knowledge about it. Which we are going to uh, jump into something that I have osmosis cultural knowledge of, but have not seen, and that is Star Wars. Yeah, Bailey has never seen Star Wars, if you can believe it. Uh, well, I think you have watched a few of them at this point, but just not the whole saga. Um, and just like two or three of them. Mm-hmm. And even that was like mainly bullying from our friend group. 100% uh, Empire Strikes Back was bullying. <laughs> So, uh, in this episode, we are going to be spoiling a lot of Star Wars for Bailey. Although, to be fair, again, culturally, I'm sure she's heard most of the crazy twists. Right, and that's one of the hard things about spoilers, is at what point does it become not a spoiler? Because how could I expect someone not to spoil Star Wars for me? It's 2021. Like, it's... Like, I remember growing up, I heard the phrase, Luke, I am your father, uh, before I was even, like, aware of Star Wars generally. So when that twist came, I was like, well, yeah, everybody says that all the time. 
So culturally, we all have uh, rose-tinted glasses, if you will, <laughs> in some ways, because so much is connected to what you consume in any media, even if you aren't deliber deliberately consuming the media, as in you haven't watched Star Wars. Mm -hmm. We do have, like, differing and complicated and nuanced opinions about the concept of spoiling overall. Um, for me, I hate being spoiled if it's something that I, like, care deeply about. Like, if anybody had ever tried to tell me something that happened in Game of Thrones before I had the chance to watch it, um, I probably would have stabbed them. Um, but things that I, I watch less intensely, I'm like, no, whatever, just, like, tell me the whole plot. And so it can be kind of a minefield for friends trying to be like, is it okay if I tell you this or no? Right, which I regularly do ask you, can I spoil this? One of them was a book published in the early 2000s that I did spoil for her earlier today. Uh, and then sometimes we have conversations with other friends. And Katie is very careful of spoilers. Well, okay, first of all, the hands up, who's watched Ted Lasso? Who is watching Ted Lasso, right? Delightful show. <laughs> Delight if you haven't raised your hand, I highly recommend it. It's on Apple Plus. Uh, it is just it. the most delightful show. But season two is currently airing. Um, and we have a group chat of me and Bailey and a couple of our friends who are watching it real time. So it comes out week to week. Um, I happened to watch it. Thursday night, because it comes out at midnight Eastern, and I happen to be, I live in Dallas, um, so I'm, I'm not a native here, so thanks for having me, and I watched it at 11 p.m. because I happened to be awake, um, but I didn't want to spoil things for the group chat. So Katie started her message with an individual message that said, start spoiler, sent a message with the spoiler in it, and then sent another one that said, end spoiler. So when you looked at the messages, it would only show and spoiler. Mm -hmm. Our two friends did not have the same courtesy and immediately launched into their spoiled opinions about Ted Lasso from the most recent episode. Before Bailey had a chance to watch I it. I had not watched it yet. I did not watch it until Saturday morning, which is a grand total of about 36 hours, but made a lot of difference. Uh, so they are not on our good list right now since yeah. they potentially spoiled Ted Lasso for me. Our friend Daniel, he gets a lot of shout-outs in the pod, and he's always looking for when he's going to get made fun of on the pod, so there you go, Daniel. There's your moment. That's it. Uh, but in general, at some point, spoilers stop becoming spoilers because um, all media is the same. A theme of our podcast often is no story is a new story. We did talk a lot about fanfic and then also a recent uptick in like retellings of classical stories and myths and um, blanking. There's a lot of Cinderella retellings recently. Mm -hmm. And the theme of that episode was basically no story is a new story, even if you're telling it in a new way, it's the same basic story. And so sometimes things are hardly spoilers if you're media literate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to take you a little bit back to English class again. I did warn you at the top of the show, we are nerds. Um, so hope, hope it's the kind of nerdy that you enjoy. Um, but with that being said, uh, we're going to give just a general spoiler warning for some of the biggest media properties in the world. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Star Wars today, talk a lot about Harry Potter, and we're going to talk a lot about Lord of the Rings. And we'll definitely throw some other, um, what we consider to be pretty well-known series that we we could fit the vibe. I think that uh, I'll bring up Aragon at some point. We'll talk a little bit about Percy Jackson, but generally these are things that we assume most people have seen or have some knowledge of. And so if we do spoil Lord of the Rings for you, I apologize, but also uh, the movies are out there. Please watch them. <laughs> yeah, they've been out there. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, uh, so we're we're gonna again, like I said, take you back to English class. We're gonna talk about the hero's journey, which is one of the most classic, most well-known storytelling devices, where you take your protagonist and you take him through um, these certain events that shape the story, shape the protagonist, and um, come out the end with a reward. And if you're wondering if you've heard a hero's journey. You absolutely have. If you have seen a single Disney movie, you've actually probably seen a simple hero's journey. Think um, Hercules, obviously, hero, Hercules, uh, but then also like Moana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically most simple media, a lot of kids media, a lot of what we consider to be our epic fantasy and adventure all follow this very basic formula. Now there are places where they diverge, there are places where they make it their own, subvert tropes, but for the most part, uh, they all follow the same starting point. Which is the ordinary world, or where the person is, the character, everything is normal. This is when you're introduced to them. So for Harry Potter, it's Harry is at the Dursleys. You get a brief look at him like growing up and his life under the stairs. Yeah, we've got in Star Wars, we've got Luke on Tatooine um, being a moisture farmer uh, with his aunt and uncle out in the middle of the desert. And then we have Frodo in the Shire. Um, and just as a side note, Katie will be taking all Star Wars references in this <laughs> in this episode because I don't have them. Yeah, as we've previously discussed, we've not seen it yet. Well, almost. I've seen, honestly, too. It's really not, I couldn't they are, even have, They're like the most, like two of the most iconic three, though. I could not have told you that planet name. Okay. Well, that's why I wrote it down for you. <laughs> uh, and just as a side note, can we talk about why, in the three examples we've chosen, all three of these heroes are orphans who live with their anger I did joke earlier that it's not part of the hero's journey to be an orphan, but it honestly might as well be. I mean, if we go back to Hercules once again, he is living with not his real parents. Mm -hmm. uh, Harry is an orphan. Yeah, so um, we'll call that an unofficial part of the first step. But then, of course, our hero living in his ordinary world gets his call to adventure. And so this is typically a direct threat or opportunity to his safety, his family, or his way of life, or generally like the peace in their community. So Star Wars. R2-D2 and, and Ben Kenobi show up and, like, rock Luke Skywalker's mind. In Harry Potter, it is the arrival of the Hogwarts letters and then, by extension, Hagrid, who comes to the hut and is, like, you're a wizard, Harry. And then in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf shows up in the Shire and is like, yo, Frodo, I have a job for you. Um, and Frodo is like, whoa, me? Yeah, which actually is the next step of the hero's journey, which is the refusal of the call. Now, sometimes this can be an outright refusal. Maybe they're happy in their ordinary life. Um, sometimes it can just be a hesitation. They, they don't know what it's going to take them on. They have fears that they're not adequate. Like, Frodo it, like doesn't think that a hobbit is the right person for the job, necessarily. Uh, Harry does not believe he's a wizard, which, in his place, I wouldn't believe I was a wizard either, so that's fairly reasonable. But the refusal of the call does take many forms, as Kate said, both direct and indirect reasoning for refusing the call, but it's either, I don't want to do this, I'm not ready, I'm not the person for the job, or saying, I might be the person, but I don't want to do it. Yeah, Luke's would be more like, he kind of agrees to help, but he's like, I'm only going to take you as far as Miss Isley. You know, I have to get back to my aunt and uncle. We have to keep this moisture farm going. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as Bailey <laughs> well knows. Uh, the next step after the refusal of the call is meeting the mentor, which is one of the elements of the story that can change some because some mentors play different roles, more close roles, and some are only there for a little bit. Uh, in Lord of the Rings, obviously the mentor, I just completely scrolled my notes past. Wow. It's Gandalf. Yeah. Uh, which is something I shouldn't have needed my notes for. Yeah, she did forget Gandalf's name earlier. I stared at my blank computer screen for at least three minutes. Like, wow, I should know the wizard's name. He's kind of the main character. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> in Harry Potter, it would be Dumbledore, although Hagrid also serves that function early on because he is the one who is taking Harry out of the ordinary world. Right, and I would argue that Hagrid is the more um, friendly mentor, and Dumbledore is sort of the removed mentor who is pulling the strings and helping, but Harry doesn't realize it until later in the journey, Mm -hmm. because he's not directly involved until later in the journey. And then, of course, Obi-Wan in Star Wars, regularly, of course. Of course. (laughs) Next up comes the crossing of the threshold. So this is, they're they're on the way to the journey, and this is sort of like the point of no return. Once you've crossed the threshold, whether it's physical threshold, a metaphorical threshold, um, just like a mental block, that is when you are really in it, you're on the journey. So for Harry Potter, it is a very literal threshold when he crosses into platform magic quarters. Right, and this element of the story is one that I think you see a lot even in stories that don't have a strict hero's journey uh, path because the cross, the point of no return is definitely the moment in any storytelling where you realize that something has to go a certain way and move forward. Uh, Frodo and Sam have to leave the Shire. That's the threshold they're crossing. And then for Luke and Star Wars, it would be when the Stormtroopers kill his aunt and uncle. I can't and believe you spoiled that for me. That's one of the movies that you've seen. I know. Can't take her anywhere. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but then Luke knows that he can't go back to the home that he had. He has to continue on this journey, especially if he wants um, retribution. So Right, and there are many times where that similar story happens of the now I need retribution or revenge and that's the point of no return uh, and it doesn't always end up being like that again I don't is it is it always about revenge for um no he's Luke. just like a, he's just like a good guy oh huh the anyway. next section is my favorite because it's it's very vague and broad this section is called tests allies and enemies so like pretty much anything that you encounter Right, they couldn't decide on one name for this, so they said, well, it could be any of these things, so let's smash them into one step. Mm-hmm. So this is where I think a lot of, there's a lot of latitude, but basically any obstacles they encounter, um, they could be physical or they could be like people bent on thwarting the prog- progress, and the hero has to overcome the challenge and make allies and friends along the way. And there are a lot of allies in many of these stories. We are, again, focusing on very the main three, but... Like, Harry goes to school, he makes friends with Ron and Hermione, um, he has other friends along the way, and his obstacles uh, really always kind of just come back to his enemy as Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And we also, we were mainly focusing on the line of, of the Sorcerer's Stone, really the first in each of these franchises, so Sorcerer's Stone, Fellowship of the Ring, A New Hope, and in the Sorcerer's Stone, a lot of Harry's obstacles are just literal obstacles, um, especially we're going to go through it more, but when they go through that trap door to find a sort of stone, he's just literally facing obstacles. A three-headed dog, a giant game of chess, 
a, a riddle, mm-hmm. etc. He really is facing these very straightforward, literal obstacles as opposed to um, sometimes the obstacles are, as you said, more mental, like learning to use the force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what, yeah, she made a Star Wars weapon. Way to go, Bailey! I, you did it so casually, it didn't even register until you looked away all proud of yourself. It's in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Luke trains with the force, and then, uh, I mean, there are lots and lots of all of these things in Lord of the Rings. There are the Ring Rakes, um, Aragorn, you know, sort of collects his little band of friends along the way. I, I feel like allies are a strong one in Lord of the Rings, as are, ob- again, literal obstacles that mm-hmm. they are facing on this journey. Uh, and there are more allies even. Obviously, there's that scene where they're all in... Um, Aaron, no. you, you definitely have more Lord of the Rings. I've seen Lord of the Rings. Okay. You definitely have more knowledge than me, so I'm not going to that's okay it's uh my brain is blanking again because people are watching me so it has shut down yeah Uh, normally we do this um not together we do it on computers in our own homes and we don't typically edit out a lot but there are tangents there are pauses there are lots of interruptions from my very cute dog her dog's name is bruce wayne yeah again i did say up front i am a nerd but bruce wayne is a very good dog except he wants my attention 100 percent of the time every day in any case, the allies in Lord of the Rings are very obvious. They are with the elves. They are in a circle, and they all say, I will go with you. And my bow. Oh, right. The one time Legolas talks to Frodo in the entire franchise? Yep. Yes. Yep. I know you told us that last night, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> See, we take, we take nerdy knowledge that we learn, and we share it with others. The only other nerdy thing about Lord of the Rings I know is, uh, did you know that when Aragorn kicks the thing, he breaks his toe? You know what, I do know that, and I think it's maybe from you telling me previously. It's probably because I sent a TikTok about it. It definitely is. <laughs> it's like the most well-known fun fact for that movie ever, and um, it's very much like every time it comes up, everyone is like, oh, did you know this thing? We all know this thing. Even me. Now. Yeah. The next step after the test allies, enemies, whatever else doesn't fit elsewhere in the hero's journey but needs a spot is uh, the approach to the inmost cave. And this is sort of the height of the conflict, the point in the story where they have to face the biggest battle yet, be it external or internal battle to before they come out on the other side of this journey. So the approach to the inmost cave is uh, arguably one of the more dramatic moments in each of these journeys. Uh, Through the trap door is the Harry Potter one, which I asked Katie if she did the chapter title on purpose. Kind of, but also it's just like an accurate description of of what they're doing, that they're approaching the endless cave, because they they literally go through a trap door. Yes, in the first book, they go through the trap door to find the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, In Star Wars, this would be when they're cementing their plans to... Um, take the Death Star plans to Alderaan, and then they get caught and trapped or beamed into the Death Star. Right. Very dramatic. Yeah, as Bailey well knows. I've seen this one too, haven't I? It's all the same one. (laughs) This is all the first one. This is one movie. And then in Lord of the Rings, it's the mines. Uh, So this is the, as we said, the biggest moment, the... This is where things are make or break, really. Um, Yeah, you've already had your, like, when you have to cross the threshold, you've already had your first big one, but this is the beginning of the actual 
challenge with it, not just the commitment to the challenge. Yeah, I feel like we've referred to the threshold as the point of no return, but that's just the point of no return into the world. This is like within the adventure of the point of no return. Like if you're committed, once you get here, you're going to face the bad guy, you're going to go through some shit. Right. And I, I mean, it's a hero's journey, so usually you can say with confidence they're going to come out of it. Theoretically, hopefully. Most of the time. Yeah, that's the point. If, if they don't come out of it, are they the hero? Is that a story for another time? Ooh, yeah, we, we'll, we'll circle back to that later, maybe. Okay. Good, good thought. Are they really the hero? I don't know. But of course, once you once you pass, once you approach the animal escapes, you go through the ordeal. The supreme ordeal may be a dangerous physical test or a deep inner crisis that the hero must face in order to survive for the world in which the hero lives to continue to exist. If you are picturing the supreme ideal as with capital letters, you are correct. It is the supreme ordeal. Mm-hmm. So in Star Wars, that would be rescuing Leia and losing Obi Wan. Spoiler alert, maybe. No, I remembered that one. There was like a battle, and they like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, I remember that one. All right. It was right. very intense. I was yeah. impressed with the um, uh, effects. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for a normal movie, they did great effects. Right. Exactly. And then. Uh, for Harry Potter, it's the te- the aforementioned test through the trap door where they have to solve the riddle, and Harry relies heavily on his allies here. I mean, as does Luke Skywalker, because Ron wins the chess game, and Hermione solves the riddle because uh, Harry is actually a pretty oblivious main character who's terrible at logic. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about Harry, and not all of them are positive, generally. And then... <laughs> In The Lord of the Rings, uh, losing Gandalf is part of the ordeal. Uh, that whole scene is also just intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically, you know, most of the time they're going through it, but they're also thinking, like, hope is lost. Like, we don't get through this, we lose everything. And they have to sacrifice a lot along the way, because they do, you know, we lose Obi-Wan, we lose Gandalf in this moment. Um, Ron and Hermione do sacrifice themselves within this moment in Harry Potter, it just happens to be um, not a permanent sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice myself. <laughs> that leaves you free to take the game. Wrong. No. <laughs> the 11-year-old acting in the, the first movie um, is basically a meme at this point on TikTok. Yeah. And <laughs> it's really good. It's very good. It's not good, but it's really enjoyable. And on the bright side, like, you don't actually lose Gandalf, mm-hmm. which is part of the rest of the journey, but um, Gandalf does come back better than ever. It's good for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the next step is uh, the reward, which I use, like, the seizing of the sword. If you want to go back to one of the original heroes journey myths, uh, the hero is ultimately transformed emerging from battle as a stronger person and with the prize. The prize is not necessarily physical. Uh, Leia is portrayed as the prize in some ways, but that is a story for another time. Yeah, that's great. Love having only one female character in um, the literal universe, basically. Right. Uh, Harry did get the stone and win the house cup for doing so. That That is a literal prize. Yeah, they won, they won Leia, so they saved Leia, and they got the Death Star plans. I feel like Bailey made a rush judgment because she's only barely ever seen Star Wars. Um, but they got a reward. I did forget about the Death Star plans. That didn't feature heavily in the movie. I mean, it's written right there. 
And then, um, I mean, for Lord of the Rings, they, they've got, like, their, their bravery and their knowledge to complete the quest, quest? like, at the end of Fellowship? Like, how would you categorize that? It's one story. I don't know where the ending point is. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, they're like, all right, we have to keep going, because the Gandalf sacrifices us. Right, the Two Towers is just the continuation of this journey. I, they, they very much so go through a hero's journey in Lord of the Rings, but I feel like um, he wrote a not-small series, and it takes the whole way through to get to the final, the end of it. Yeah, the return all, of the elixir, if you will. These are all interesting examples, because they're all starts to series, and all of them have hero's journeys within each installment, and then there's also the larger hero's journey of the entire series. Um, and but, I, but we only have an hour, so we picked our battles. I do feel like the scope of the series also depends on the end audience of the series. So when we're specifically talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which is written for a young audience, the hero's journey, as we've said, is very literal, very obvious, and wraps up very nicely within the first installment. Even though, yes, there are six more books and seven more movies, they go through to see all of this and it's the over like arching story but with lord of the rings it was not intended for that young of an audience and so the scope of the hero's journey is bigger even within one single story but also within all of the story yeah the like the exact points of all of these journeys are a little bit more nebulous and also all of this is just like one interpretation of the hero's journey there are lots of things that you could point to as the climax, as the reward, as as we're about to talk about, the road back, um, especially taking into account that they are parts of a larger whole. Right, and this, the hero's journey has obviously been studied by people a lot smarter than us. I mean, we're pretty smart. Yeah, don't get, don't get me wrong. Uh, but there have been multiple scholarly analyses of this, and so there is a whole lot more that can be said for it. But um, and to be clear, if you want to get into it, we are using the Joseph Campbell map of the Heroes Journey. Correct. There are other maps that use different steps, uh, but it all basically falls into this general pattern. Right. And so I think that also um, plays into it is that we are loosely basing these stories that are known to have the Heroes Journey on this particular interpretation. So not every single step is going to be exact. But these elements are all there, as you said. And if we had wanted, we could have put every step of Disney's Hercules in here or Moana. Um, I did see one online that tried to fit Lilo and Stitch into the hero's journey. Yeah, we were really excited because we were like, oh, that would be a fun one to talk about. And then every example they gave, we were like, I don't know. Like, I think they tried to frame at least Stitch as the mentor. They did. Stitch um, and Lilo were yeah, each other's did. mentors. Uh, which was I I sure. found questionable. Yeah. And then also one of the steps of the hero's journey, they have literally just written, they don't go through this step. And so while we were very excited about the concept, we ultimately talked about it and decided it didn't really feel like Lilo and Stitch fit yeah. the hero's journey. Again, it takes it takes portions of it. It takes um, parts of the blueprint, and then it fits it to be a story that works for Lilo and Stitch for Disney. And this is right. And then did we want to talk about the like anti-hero journey that I touched on earlier yeah, today? Yeah, so um, Bailey and I watched about two-thirds of Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of Black Pearl last night. Um, we forgot got, how long it was. And then it got past Bailey's bedtime and I was out. I live on East Coast time. You have an advantage. That's true. But you also get up freakishly early, in my opinion. 
Okay, people in the audience just said yes and nodded, and when I say people, I mean multiple people, so apparently I get up freakishly early, <laughs> noted. Anyways, I was thinking about Lord of the Rings, or Pirates of the Caribbean, because it was on my mind when we were talking about it, and um, I thought about the fact that Elizabeth Swan is a little bit of a hero's journey there. Not that I would call her a hero. Yeah, more, like you said, more of an anti-hero. Because especially in that movie, it's kind of framed at first like Captain Jack Sparrow is the main character, or maybe even Will Turner. But I think that the hero of that franchise, or the anti-hero, is definitely my girl Elizabeth Swan. And she's the one who really goes through a journey in this series. She starts in her ordinary life, and then there's, it's not necessarily a call to action so much as she faints and falls off of it, lands in the water, and the call is forced upon her when mm-hmm. the medallion through the water. Yeah, um, and then she the, her, she crosses the threshold when she parlays with the pirates, uh, because then she's on a pirate ship and she can't go back. Right, and the reason we decided it, it did kind of work is because she ends up becoming the pirate king. After a while, she does try to return to ordinary life, realizes that that's not going to work, and uh, Jack Sparrow is the mentor. Yeah, here. which is, I would not trust him to mentor me in anything, but I get it. But you have heard of him. But I have heard of him. <laughs> Either the best or worst pirate you've ever heard of, depending on your perspective. But you have heard of him. <laughs> yeah, so in some ways we thought that the inspiration for that story could be related to a hero's journey, but more of an anti-hero journey, because um, I don't think that the pirates were supposed to be the heroes, but... Well, I also think hero is, is a term like protagonist. It's like the person that we're following. They don't necessarily have to be morally good to be a hero. That's very true. And I also think it's an interesting example because even though I think Elizabeth is the best, um, she's not the only main character in that franchise. It's more of like a side plot, or not quite a subplot, um, but it's something that's happening alongside this main adventure plot. And so it's an example of a hero journey that's not really the focus of the franchise. Right, and I think that's maybe why no one ever thinks of it right away as a hero's journey story, because there are other stories happening. I mean, it's the curse of the Black Pearl. We're not supposed to be focused on Elizabeth's personal development when they're trying to, you know, become alive pirates again instead of skeleton pirates, mm-hmm. or whatever the curse is. You, you got it. I mean, I know I got it. Yeah. Just, there are other elements of it. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, but circling back, so our heroes have gotten their reward, um, and now they're at the road back. So they have to return home with the reward. But this time, the anticipation of danger is replaced with the anticipation of a claim and perhaps vindication um, or absolution. It's basically they've crested the biggest hill, and there's still obstacles they have to face to get home. But like now, that's they have the promise of getting home. Right, and I like to think of this section as the uh, you can't go home again because the point of this whole journey is that you have changed, something has changed, and so even though you are ostensibly returning to home, you're not really returning because everything has changed for you. That's the point of like the supreme ordeal. Mm-hmm. So in Star Wars, they are escaping the Death Star and it's bringing the plans back, uh, but now they've completed that journey and they know that ahead they're going to have to find a way to destroy the Death Star. Yes, and in Harry Potter it's leaving Hogwarts for the first time, but like knowing Voldemort is still out there and still fighting and 
all of that, um, which ties it up neatly for one installment and leaves room for the rest of the installments as previously established. Mm-hmm. And then for Lord of the Rings, I just wrote continuing on encountering Boromir. Do you want to parse that for me? Um, no, because I didn't talk <laughs> with you ahead of time about what that meant. I was just going to say that the road bag is sort of the continuation of the story in this case. They have they've crested that one hill, and there are hills in the future. Like the the story in Lord of the Rings does not end mm-hmm. in the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. You still have the two towers and the Return of the King. So you've crested one hill and you've completed one thing. But there is still a lot more to deal with, even more so than just like, oh, Voldemort is still out there mm-hmm. to cross our lines there. Which leads us to the ultimate final battle, the final climax, the resurrection. This is, um, the hero must have his final and most dangerous encounter with death. So uh, in Star Wars, it would be um, the epic space battle, and they follow them away from the Death Star. In Harry Potter, it is two question marks. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I did write two question marks, so that's fair. This is the one, another step in the hero's journey that doesn't always happen, that doesn't always have a defined moment or something. And so in a story as simple, especially as the first Harry Potter, this is the moment where there's not a defined event in this story. Well, I think I could also argue that we maybe like lumped all of it together earlier on, where like everything through the trapdoor, like all the tests and stuff could be um, the ordeal and then he gets the stone and maybe that's the resurrection and then he has to face or that's the returning home i don't know i mean and it's then, not the resurrection then he, has to, then he has to face Voldemort. yeah um so maybe like that's the final battle occasionally it's just like shifted around condensed you know there, right there can be an argument made for an interpretation and then in lord of the rings it's frodo continuing on alone yeah because he realizes he's putting his friends in too much danger how very thoughtful of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, that leads us to the end of the hero's journey, which is called Return with the Elixir. So this is where our hero goes back to his original ordinary world, a changed man. Um, I do just realize that I used a, a, a template that made the hero always be a man, but women can be heroes too, don't let your dreams be dreams. Correct. Also, we were locked in on like very well-known media and they all do happen to be men. Um, they all do happen to be men. A lot of very well-known media happens to have men as the main character. Uh, and that that is just the way things are. It's okay. It's getting better. It is getting better. But uh, the return of the elixir is like coming home, as I said, a changed person. And, sorry, sometimes when I record a podcast, my brain blanks out and we do edit those out. Um, when we post them, so yeah, you guys get the quick factory reset. It happens. Um, so you know, like Harry is going back to the Dursleys, but he knows he has a home at Hogwarts. He knows he's, he just has to stick it through the summer. And we do get like fun summer hijinks in the later books, like uh, Ron trying to use a telephone and stuff like that. But it's this—he's a changed person because he knows he's going to be able to return to this new world where he belongs. Mm-hmm. In Star Wars, it's where Luke and Han and Leia receive, and Chewie, of course, receive their medals from the Rebels. Um, they get, they go home, they succeeded in one mission, but, um, I mean, you know that the Empire is not going to let that fly for long. They don't? Yeah, they, they in fact strike back at some point. Zing. And Frodo and Sam set off, and their friends go to rescue Mary and Pippin. 
So, um, and, and a lot of times it's the continuation, but if you're looking at classic mythology, the return with the elixir is when the classic like Greek hero, for example, comes home at the end of their journey um, and returns with the prize. A lot of times it is that obvious in the original mythology, but that's how this sort of overarching mythos, the story of the hero's journey starts is because all of these stories follow the same template because no media is new media. But also, so we just went through all those steps and we compared the three of three of the most famous pieces of media in the world. And if you just have that information presented to you, you might think, wow, these are really, really, really similar stories. And again, there's arguments to be made for where there are similarities. But I think that the fact is that it's just a base, it's a template. Watching all three of those pieces of media or reading them is a very different experience. And there are lots of ways to take that basic template, expand on it and subvert it and change it around and make it um, its own thing. Right. I mean, one is in space and one is in Middle Earth. Very obvious differences. Totally there. different. One has uh, only wizards and one has wizards and also other stuff. And one has space wizards. That's, that's all of them have any wizards. Them. Just saying. That's a fair point. <laughs> and also, there's other stuff in Harry Potter. There are magical creatures that sometimes help Harry, sometimes hurt Harry. Most of them aren't sentient. They're not like, you know, they don't talk, talk to Harry. Isn't that like a, a part of one of the books is when they decide if these uh, creatures are worth. Um... Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Okay. I'm not thinking for it. That was not the cover mark. Didn't work out. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> That's like one of the major conflicts in the fifth book, but I guess this was only focused on the first book, so that's okay. Nerd. I have no, I have no response except for the fact that you have said every single Star Wars thing, nerd. Fair. I, I mean, again, that's correct. So, uh, again, the hero's journey, as Katie said, is something that you think would sound boring and feel boring, but once you look at this formula. If you sit down and dissect a story, you're going to see it pop up over and over again. Maybe not with every step fitting as well as these big stories, but especially something you see with Lord of the Rings is a lot of stories end up being slightly derivative of Lord of the Rings. It was one of the original pieces of high fantasy, and so you end up with a lot of things going the same way. Aragon is a book series that's a little less well-known than these other pieces of media, but it's an orphan. Again, seriously, they're all orphans. They're all orphans. And he's living his ordinary life on a farm, and there's a call to action because he finds a dragon egg, and then he goes on an adventure with his mentor. Ooh, that's an actual spoiler. I should probably not say the next part. Okay. It's an old book. I don't think anyone would be harmed by the spoiler here. Um, <laughs> but in any case, it it is often criticized as being... Um, very much like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings in many, many ways. But this book is also written for a much younger audience than these two things, and I think... And it was written by an 18-year-old. Yes, whose parents were publishers. Mm -hmm. So... Nepotism. Correct. <laughs> so he did get that uh, advantage in life, but also it. I feel like it receives a lot of that criticism, and no one realizes the differences in audiences. You can't expect every young kid to read the entirety of Lord of the Rings. Um, and I'd argue that sometimes it is too much. 
But yeah. I didn't think a lot about. I enjoyed English class for the most part, but like I'm a math and science kid. Um, I liked math. I liked things that had answers. And I remember how annoyed I was in English class when we were talking about things like symbolism. Um, and I remember thinking I was so convinced, like no author would ever purposefully put symbolism in a book. Like it's just something that we interpret because they need something to do with teenagers and high schools for eight hours a day, like every day. Uh, I was so convinced. I was like, sure, like, whatever. The Green Light and Gatsby is the one that always comes to mind. Like, sure, I see how it represents lines, but, like, this is just our interpretation of it. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, no, like, that's not on purpose. Correct. And yeah. I, it comes back to a lot of that symbolism you're talking about circles back to not, like, media is not created in a vacuum. All of these things are not created without the influence of all of the other things that you have or read or do or see. And so um, I don't stare at green lights, but right. But if the concept if you were pining over your lost love and all you had to represent them was a light across the bay, maybe you would. Yeah, yeah. I also don't have really sick parties. That's true. I don't know. I mean, but that seems like more of a you problem. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that wow, I'm so sorry. I got really close to my phone. The other thing with, as you bring up high school English class, did you guys talk about the hero's journey in high school English class? Oh, for sure. I don't think you could graduate high school without talking about the hero's journey. Yeah, no, that's why I was very confident that everyone here has heard of it. You know, maybe most of it had leaked out of your brain by this point, but at one point you were taught about it. Feel confident. You said it. My mom said she did not learn about the hero's journey in high school, but then she also said that she's too old, and that's probably why. Okay, that seems fair. Yes. I don't know though, because uh, the hero's journey is a pretty old, like literary device. So it may have been. I don't know when you you started teaching like the Joseph Campbell version. Like maybe it was more implied and not as like rigorously categorized and taught the way it was. That's now. fair. Um, do you remember what year Joseph Campbell came out with that? No, but I'm sure we can look it up. Yeah, let's do that really quick. Um, how fast we did with one hand. We did talk earlier about books we had to read in high school, and Katie and I discovered that we did not read a lot of the same books in high school. Yeah, I'm actually like genuinely shocked by how few of the classics that I have read that you have read. Yes. Also, he originally published it in 1990, so... Okay, yeah, so it was probably um, not a thing in schools before then. So that right. Makes sense. But yeah, um, so I'm, I'm glad to know that we did at least have the hero's journey in common, mm -hmm. though we read almost none of the same books. Yeah, I was like, Bailey, I would really love for the podcast, we reread all of these classics that we read in high school and talk about how differently we feel about them as adults. And Bailey's like, just to be fair, I didn't, I didn't read a lot of book, books. And I was like, well, okay, okay, have you read this one? Have you read that one? What about this one? It was all no. To be clear, I was assigned a lot of books. Okay. <laughs> Mom, cover your ears. <laughs> I passed the classes. I don't talk about hours, I guess. I passed the test, but I didn't read the material. Okay. Well, then it would be interesting for you to read it for the first time as an adult, or as I have all this, like, baggage attached. We didn't have the same English class. That's when we read most of the books. There's yeah. some uh, Utrecht sibling infighting going on. Uh, my twin is saying that it's because she read all the books, but that's not true because we didn't have the same class for Wuthering Heights or The Scarlet Letter. That's when we read most of the classics. We didn't read... No, we no, we didn't. That was junior year. Senior year, we had to memorize the first 14 lines of the Canterbury Tales in Middle English. I did we not. Did, 
we didn't take the same class together junior year. That was the reread of the classics. In any case, I did not read The Scarlet Letter or Wuthering Heights. Um, I did read All Quiet on the Western Front. And which I, was, I did not read. Which is crazy because that was the single book I was assigned in high school that I could say I enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot of them actually. I just thought all the similar stuff was, was bullshit as previously established. To be clear, I definitely thought that as well, even for books I hadn't read. Mm -hmm. And then don't even get me started on the poem symbolism. Yeah. We might be nerdy, but we are not poetic. <laughs> it's funny, one of my um, English teachers from high school follows me on Twitter now, uh, which is a, a big achievement in my opinion, and Mrs. Neal follows me. And there was a, a while back, this would have been like probably 18 months ago, where there was a trend on Twitter for that William Carlos Williams poem about the plums in the icebox. Doesn't ring a bell. Uh, it's something like, I ate the plums that were in the icebox. I know you were saving them for breakfast. Sorry, they were really sweet. But it's a poem. It's really well known. We were taught it in English. And it was a trend for a while on Twitter where people would make it about something else. Like, uh, sorry that we beat your hockey team this week. I know you wanted to win, but it was really sweet. Did it's someone write that to Zach when he lost the fantasy championship? No, but they should have. Maybe that would Next year. But anyway, I, they, they were going on. Twitter and I retweeted one and then I tagged Mrs. Neal and I was like, just want you to know that I did learn something in high school English. Congratulations. The only poems I learned were Nothing Gold Can Stay by Robert Frost and Oh Captain My Captain. Well, I guess the opening of Canterbury Tales is technically a poem, but uh, uh, I also, since we memorized it in Middle English, I did get, I've told you this before, but I did get points taken off, and so did my twin, because we also took Latin in high school, and so in Middle English, we pronounced the W's as V's like you would in Latin, and the teacher thought that was incorrect and docked us all points, and there were three or four of us in, in Latin classes who all did the exact same thing, and we all got points off for it. I also took Latin in high school, and I would have been very angry in your position. I would have actually, I would have gone to get my Latin teacher, who was a crazy lady, um, and I would have brought her to my English class and be like, Mrs. May, please tell them. By that time, our Latin teacher was no longer at the school, and they no longer did Latin classes. Oh, really? um, so we had no recompense for this. We just had to suffer with a like, negative one point from that instance. It was really not a make or break. Um, it's the principle of the thing. What did you say, Kelly? She said, damn that 99, which to be fair is likely what she got on it and not what I got on it. But again, as established, we passed, so it's all good. It's all that matters. <laughs> so bringing it back to the hero's journey, which we did talk about in school, except my mother. Um, there are a lot of stories that cover that, and there are even stories that are less well-known or less popular, I guess, that we could say covered those. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, again, each story takes elements from it. We have, even in Divergent, I feel like you can break down parts of the storyline where she's living the ordinary life, but the call to action is when they're being, um, they call it sorted or selected or I chosen. I was going to say sorted, but I don't think it's sorted because that's Harry Potter. Anyways, whatever faction you get selected for. Cho that choosing Day or something? Choosing Day was, we consume too much media. And too much media, especially YA dystopian, has all become um, like factions, houses, districts, etc. It's all the same. 
where you get sorted based on a very simple character trait or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, my favorite in, in Divergent is you're, you're brave, you're nice, you're smart, you're honest, or you're nothing. And that's the only things you can be. It's very reminiscent of, like, I haven't read The Giver in a very long time. But that's, like, the OG, you are something that's very simple. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, everybody knows, like, the Hogwarts houses where you are on a very basic level in the first one. You're, like, loyal, you're cunning, you're brave, or you're a nerd. My, my favorite way to put that is you're brave, you're smart, you're nice, or you're evil. Yeah. Which, again, we have Harry Potter opinions, and I am a Slytherin, and so I have, I have Slytherin opinions. But in the first book, that's pretty much, if you're in Slytherin, you're just evil. Yeah, the problem with writing a book that's um, really idealized for, like, 11-year-olds is you, you're you going for very basic, and then by the time that they're 17, and everyone has an, a developed personality and is a, 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 you know, a complex person, these four categories don't really work any longer. Uh, but we make them work, because we're nerds, and we have our personalities formed long ago um, by a piece of media that we consume. And we are still bitter that the movies change the colors. Yeah. Yeah, poor Bailey and all of her Ravenclaw merch is not accurate. Correct. Um, because in the movie they made it like blue and silver. I guess they thought it was prettier, uh, but it really should be like the blue and gold bronze. Bronze. Um, and so one time I did get like a wild error that I was going to knit a properly colored scarf that's as long as the ones in the movie until I realized that knitting a scarf that is that long is, is a very time intensive project because it's like a six foot scarf. Um, so I made it about six inches and gave up. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, Hero's Journey, it plans for a lot, you can pick and choose. Um, pretty much most modern pieces of media, I think, use a form of it, even the ones you wouldn't necessarily expect. Because all the media you can realize upon following a protagonist that is progressed into a different world of some sort. A protagonist that has to do something, even in character-driven media, the protagonist generally has to do something from uh, outside pressure. They have to change in some way. And then in more plot-driven media, the thing that's forcing them to go on this journey is very external and literal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that we've actually been talking about a lot more lately, which I feel like we don't have the time to get into because we'll go off on a very deep tangent, is character-driven versus plot-driven media. Mm -hmm. And that might be a little too niche for this. Yeah, but it is something that we, again, as we're growing and we're, we're learning more about uh, ourselves and the world around us in, in less of a like, clinical setting like high school, just more through experience, I feel like we are more interested in symbolism and like the character motivations and not just like stuff's happening. Right, and we are on TikTok from time to time, and there is a big like book community on TikTok. But what we're discovering is we're a little bit older than the book community on TikTok. And so we have some opinions that don't necessarily um, agree with some of what's going on on BookTok. And one of those things is some of the character-driven books that we really enjoyed and really liked are poorly received on BookTok because the main audience on TikTok is younger and younger books tend to be plot-driven. If you think of like a classic YA novel, as we've talked about Harry Potter, Divergent, Hunger Games, the plot is the driving factor in this story. But if you think of like modern, more recent books that are character-driven, like The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, things don't happen that force her to do something. She's the driver of these things that are changing, and it's a much slower pace. 
And on TikTok, it, they have the nerve to call that a boring. And I will fight each and every teenager. Frankly, they're boring. Um, so it's just something that we were thinking about, these types of these differences in media. Um, and then also another thing on TikTok is the crossover of different fandoms. Because you're using a sound to put your story in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so on uh, a similar vein, we thought it would be an interesting way to end the show by sorting characters from other universes into an unrelated universe's uh, faction or house or whatever. So we do have a list of ones, but if you guys do want to shout one out, like, feel free. I did want to start with this one, and you're going to already, I know you're going to hate me, I hate it. but okay. earlier today when you were going through this, we put Luke Skywalker on the list, because we're talking about Star Wars, and Bailey goes, I think he's a Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would really like to hear you justify that decision. Oh, I can't. Okay. <laughs> With absolute confidence, I cannot. I just feel like it's because he's brave and he, he goes through this, but I don't necessarily think that his intentions are always, like, the. It, it's not, it's his own gain at the end in some ways, oh, but it I, is I also in service of... I think not attention when you watch Star Wars. It's absolutely fair. <laughs> this is completely fair. Okay. I've watched one movie, and then the, the second Star Wars movie I've seen is a sequel, so it doesn't even have Luke Skywalker in it. Wait, what order did you watch that in? I... Oh, so the first Star Wars movie I ever saw, hmm, I don't remember the name of it, but it's it's definitely not um, the original ones. It's the ones that came out in like 2016. The like new, the, the like new ones, yeah. Okay. Yes. So like it doesn't even have Luke in it. Okay. Well, the first one, the second one does have Luke in it, so we'll say it's probably the first of the sequel It's fine. Bailey doesn't know what I'm talking about. I anyway, don't. Anyway, uh, I would posit that Luke Skywalker is in fact not a Slytherin. Okay. I would, I mean, I would maybe give him Hufflepuff as a reach, but the boys are Gryffindor. I don't have an argument. As, as well established, I don't have an argument for this. Like, I just, I felt like he was a Slytherin. Maybe it's because he would look at him green. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'll, I would like to see him in green, so that's fine. What? His lightsaber is green. Oh, okay. fun. Didn't know that. See, that's why he's a Slytherin. It's because his lightsaber was green, and uh, that's what I took in and just combined those things, and now he's a Slytherin. All right, fair enough. I do think you're wrong, but I think that that's funny that just so confidently earlier today, you're like, I think Luke is a Slytherin. And I was like, you don't you don't know enough to say that. I do not. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. But uh, we have a list of people we can go through, but we would also like to open it up to the floor if anybody has a fictional character that they would like to sort of. Emily does. Katniss. Oh, Katniss is a Slytherin. Yeah. Katniss sure. will do anything to survive. Um, and she does? What? And she's a schemer, yeah. Yeah. I love that, good point. Um, she is all about her own survival, her family unit survival, um, and she she doesn't like doing bad things to other people, but she absolutely loves what she needs to. I recently reread The Hunger Games for the podcast, um, and what I learned was that those are some very depressing books. How, like, no wonder millennials are depressed. Grew up on the Hunger Games. Yeah, that um, was rough. I, like, had to take a break after reading Hockey Day. I was like, oh, that was a lot. Uh, another audience suggestion was Moana. Ooh, that's a fun one. You have thoughts? Um, I have to think. I think this is one I do genuinely have to think about. Uh, she's a Gryffindor. Yeah, that's so that. You asked us, and then you gave us the answer. Twin fight. Twin fight. Stop trying to make twin fight happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, okay, I can fit one time. <laughs> it only happened one time. I think that Moana as a 
Gryffindor is like my gut reaction. I think Agreed. my only hesitation is I feel like we have in society a a tendency to put like, oh, protagonist equals Gryffindor. And a lot of protagonists do have those traits, like because Harry Potter is um, not, not the blueprint of other characters, but the blueprint of a Gryffindor and he's a protagonist. And also because he's the main character in the hero's journey, he tends to fit a lot of hero's journey main characters. Um, so I really, I like to take a minute to see like, is there another house that I think would, would also fit? And I think the, the most I could say is maybe Hufflepuff or Moana because she's very in touch with nature, that's, she's very caring. That's where I was leaning towards putting her, honestly, mm -hmm. uh, was probably Hufflepuff. Yeah. Because again, as I said earlier, like houses are so simple, uh, so it doesn't do everything, but loyalty is one of these, the Hufflepuff traits, and I feel like that's ultimately the reason she's going to do this thing. You know what, you bringing that up actually is making me switch back, because she is obviously loyal to her tribe, but she's so desperate to get out and have her own story that she leaves her tri tribe behind with like a, a backwards way of like, bye friends. So I'm gonna give her Gryffindor. I think Kelly is correct. Okay, where would we put her in Divergent? Oh, okay, to remind you guys, if you haven't recently read or seen Divergent, they have five factions. The factions are Dauntless, which is brave, um, Amity, which is nice, uh, Candor, which is honest, Erudite, which is smart, and Abnegation, which is, I, I like to say nothing, but it's selflessness. Right. Um, and I would I would put her in Dauntless. Yeah, I think it's the only option, and I think the way Divergent is set up is that pretty much you're, like, if you are a main character, you are Dauntless. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't Because you have be, that, that drag to start the hero's journey. Right. At the very, like, worst, you'd be Erudite. Yeah. Like, with the, the Divergent rating plus. Well, I like I feel like Divergent's not actually a fashion. Oh, you mean oh, okay. I thought you were saying like they could be divergent. I was like, no, I think the whole point is that's not a fashion. I see yeah, what you're the, saying. The now. reading clause of the divergent universe. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Any other any other characters you'd like to hear about? Pikachu. Andy, is it because you're playing Pokemon right now? <laughs> you know, fair enough. Oh my god. I'm not sorting Pikachu because I don't know anything about Pokemon either. Yeah, I don't think I've watched Pokemon since I was a kid, but Pikachu is cool. Andy, did you have thoughts? Do you, no. Okay, uh, Andy does not have any thoughts either, so I think we're going to settle with Pikachu is like the main Pokemon you learn about first, so he, he's got to be a Gryffindor based on nothing other than that. Yeah, based on those are the rules of Hogwarts houses. If we know about you, you're probably a Gryffindor. Right. Um, we Unless could... you're evil, and then in which case you're still Yes. What about Percy Jackson? So this one's interesting. Again, Percy Jackson falls into that main character, um, brave archetype. Um, he, I, I recently reread 15 Percy Jackson books. Um, so I, I read the whole series. And he is, he is brave. He is a little bit foolhardy. He'll just rush into things. Interestingly, his fatal flaw, like it, as stated in the book, is that he is too loyal to his friends. He would let the, the world burn to save a single friend. Um, Which is why I think he fits very well in alongside Harry, because Harry sacrifices himself to save his friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and it ends up like being the right thing to do for many reasons, but uh, he's, and also he's like brave to the point of stupidity sometimes, mm -hmm. which I think is very much like a Harry quality. Yeah. It's another one where I, I want to lean towards Hufflepuff because loyalty is kind of their thing. Loyalty is also a faction of really all the other houses. Um, and the loyalty in combination with the like brave run into battle before think um, 
thing he's got going. It, the himbo energy. The himbo yeah. energy. Yeah. Himbo energy for sure. Right. And then I think with Divergent, he obviously, like he said, like if you're not in Dauntless, you're not a character in Divergent. So. That's true. Um, but I do think, and I want to throw uh, Hunger Games districts into this, which is tricky because districts are more a product of where you're born and less a product of like your personality or whatever. But I definitely think he'd be like one of the main district kids that gets trained from the start to be in the Hunger Games. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially, like, um, whatever the district Finnick is, the water one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Um, because he's the son of Poseidon. I think it's three, but I yeah. thought it was four. So, in conclusion, none of us know which district is which. Anymore. One of the lower numbers. <laughs> not not that. Yeah, it's definitely not 12. Can't confirm. <laughs> um, but yeah, son of Poseidon. We talked also about trying to, like, give characters their godly parents from Percy Jackson, but seems too complicated. Yeah, and also, as we talked about, the godly parent is occasionally determined based on your, your like, personality characteristics, but also occasionally uh, decided on by your, like, physical characteristics or your connection to water in the case of Percy Jackson and Poseidon, so... It's not decided on by that, but how you're affected. I can see your, your face going. Yeah, well, Hermione and Anna... So, she just asked, Hermione's mom would be Athena, um, and Hermione and Annabeth Chase are, are the same character, pretty much. Um, although, Annabeth is better. Um, but yes. Ooh. Give me some words. Ooh. Not twin fight. Not twin fight. Not <laughs> twin fight. Um, I don't know. But yeah. They Annabeth, are the same character. They're the same character and Annabeth's mom is Athena, so Hermione's mom would also absolutely be Athena. Hermione's mom is actually a dentist, which um, I think is better, so. <laughs> what about uh, Aragorn? I mean... It's hard to find to go past Gryffindor. Big man fight with swords. Yeah. Gryffindor. I mean, yeah. I think that's the problem with like a lot of again a lot of main characters is that the tendency to put them there, but I don't know. Yeah. The audience has posited that he's a Ravenclaw because he has to use his brains to win home seat. You know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna no thoughts give that the answer because now we have a Ravenclaw. No, I do actually like that better than defaulting to Gryffindor because I feel like Gryffindor was a default answer mm -hmm. and Ravenclaw is like the more thought out answer and I think it works because he is not as um, ostentatious with his bravery. He's not as ostentatious. He's not like in your face about all the things that he does. He just does them, mm -hmm. which I think lends itself to not Gryffindor. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I love just not sorting people into Gryffindor because the Gryffindors get everything. I mean, remember when Harry Potter first came out and the only merch was Gryffindor? And my dear Hufflepuff friend here just gets nothing ever. <laughs> and that forgot Oh, that's a good one. We, we just had a comparison of Samwise to Neville. Well, so the, the follow-up was she would say that Samwise is a Hufflepuff. Uh, Neville was very close to being put in Hufflepuff. Um, it was... It was probably like the on the plot of a blade where uh, he what he ended up valuing was bravery, but what he like his core attributes were more Hufflepuffy. Yes, and I think that's how a lot of people end up in um, Gryffindor is that they have other core attributes, but it's it's edged by like that need to get ahead or whatever. So like Hermione's is she's very very smart, and a lot of people say like shouldn't she have been a Ravenclaw? But the thing is, she'll do anything to be ahead of other people for that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes her the Gryffindor. Mm -hmm. Even doing um, 
something that's worse than dying. But not getting accepted. Right. Yeah. yeah. Even breaking rules. But that is, when we're talking about Hermione and Annabeth, I would probably put Annabeth and Ravenclaw. Because I think she definitely has that bravery, but she would much rather be, say, redesigning Olympus as an architect than rushing into battle with her Hindu boyfriend. Did she really redesign Olympus? Yeah. I need to read these 15 books. Yeah. And that was a late end five, so it's not too deep. Oh, cool. Look, it sounds way more pleasant than what I did for our last episode, which was reading over 400 pages in under three hours. Yeah, we, we discussed moving that episode to later and, like, doing something else. And Bailey's like, no, like, I can get it right. I was like, okay. And then we got on the call, and she's like, yeah, I just read 400 pages. I was like, oh, it seems that you, on purpose, did not tell me how much longer you had to read so that I would let you read it all in time. That definitely did not happen. <laughs> exactly as she described. <laughs> I did actually read a couple pages during this uh, rest breaks on my workout that day, too. Insane. I had to finish it, okay? And we did. We had thoughts. Um, any other any last call-outs call about yeah, characters? Things we really want to chat about? If you say another Pokemon, we're going to shut it down. Okay, uh, well, it seems like that's it. Did you have any yeah. last characters you wanted to sort really? No, I do miss Bruce's call for our last thoughts. Yeah. Frequently, my dog will start whining at me, and that's when we know we have to wrap it up, because he needs his walk. Um, and so it's always a good, like, time indicator. He's not right. here to do that for us today. So in conclusion, my final thoughts without Bruce's prompting are basically just that I, the more we do these podcast episodes and focus on these things, the more I realize how many stories are intertwined with elements of other stories. Mm-hmm. And um, until we broke down the hero's journey, since uh, once I left high school, I deleted all of that knowledge from my brain because I didn't want to learn it in the first place. As one does. Uh, it's awesome to look at it from this point of view. Yeah, I really enjoy seeing all of these similarities and, and like the blueprints that stories go off of, but then... They still have the ability to be totally unique, totally engaging in their own way. Characters that have, like, on the surface the same attributes can still be very different um, and create completely different experiences, which is something, which is why I keep reading. Right. I love to read all these different stories. And you know what? Actually, we should have talked about it when you brought up that all of the um, heroes' journeys that we talked about were male. We completely ignored the fact that our last episode was on a completely female-centric hero's journey with multiple female characters going on hero's journeys. And that was the Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon, where uh, there is a female dragon rider who leaves the ordinary, becomes a dragon rider. There is um, a female spy working. She has magic. And then there is a queen. Yeah. Uh, it's really great to see how um, many stories like that are popping up, where it's, it's that same general blueprint, but instead of being like a male-centric world, it's a female-centric world, and I think that's that's something that we didn't really get to grow up with as little girls, um, and I'm really excited that little girls nowadays have those. So if you want 800 pages of high fantasy, read uh, The Priory of the Orange Tree. If you don't want that, we do have tons of other suggestions for books and media on other episodes, and also usually on our socials. We try and post what we're reading, what we're doing. And so you can find us on at Pros Tinted Pod on pretty much everything. Yeah, I think that covers Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Yes. Our website is ProsTintedPod.com. Isn't it just ProsTintedGlasses.com? No, I think it's ProsTintedPod. Why don't we know we're, our we're own website? This is, Maybe we should know our own website. 
Well, now it's prostintedpod.com. Right. Now you'll all remember because you have to remember us um, deciding if we knew our website. Which, to be fair, I did. You were right, and you should say it. <laughs> cool. So uh, thanks so much for having us, guys. Um, we really appreciate you coming out. I traveled here especially to do this, which is really fun. Got to spend the weekend in Cincinnati. Had a really great time. You guys have a nice, nice city down here. Yep. Thank you, Fretboard, for having us. This has been just absolutely awesome to come get to talk um, in front of a few people. For sure. And as always, we are right. And we should say it. a glass of wine let's start reading in between the lines never know what we might find yeah it could be magic oh pros tinted glasses is hosted by katie phillips and me bailey utrecht our logo is by baby truth collections and our theme song is by anna voss please take a moment and rate and review us on apple it would really help us And we'll see you during spooky season. Bye!